This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is 6.06 and it is time for our monthly show, The Movers and Shakers Town Hall, where we get ministers, agencies, civil society members to come in and answer some of the most pressing questions you have. Today, in the midst of all the conversation about IR 4.0 and whether or not we are sufficiently prepared, we have Sumitra Nair, the Vice President for Talent and Digital Entrepreneurship at MDEC. She's here to talk about developing digital skills and getting our youth ready for robot takeovers and IR 4.0. Sumitra, thanks for for joining us. You're most welcome. And before we get to our question, if there's anything uh, you would like to ask, call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio. So to kick us off, um, I guess, like I said, in the news, we've been having a lot of conversations about being able to have digital skills, especially for our graduates, for people who are working, um, and introducing that young as well. Uh, and coming up with tech innovation and developing a successful digital economy so we can be a high-tech nation, why is there this emphasis, this tremendous emphasis on us becoming a tech-driven country? I think it's a, it's a natural evolution, and I don't think you can sort of avoid it. Because if you, if you talk about the fourth industrial revolution, we know that digital is going to be a, a, a key component, cutting across uh, all industries, you know, in the past, when we speak about tech jobs, it was limited to perhaps the IT industry or the ICT companies. But these days, if you look at some of the statistics that have been coming out, um, tech jobs are growing at five times the pace in um, non-tech industries compared to tech industries. So it's sort of cutting across all sectors. What's the government's strategy towards achieving this goal? So in uh, MDEC, and MDEC is uh, an agency under the Ministry of Communications and Multimedia. Uh, at MDEC, we are looking at it across the talent life cycle. So what we're looking at is more in terms of tech skills, addressing uh, not just uh, what the existing workforce needs, but also to look at the next generation. Because when we talk about fourth IR, I mean, we are in it now. And I guess it's only going to get faster and more furious as we go. But we know that the next generation has to be prepared. It, it's not going to be like one day you wake up and you're ready, right? So we address it right from the schools to the universities to now looking at existing workforce and even the latent talent. You know, as lifespans increase, um, you're going to have more and more retirees looking at income continuity, uh, home-based businesses, you know, and a whole range of other communities that also need to be connected to this digital economy. So a couple of words that are interesting to me, things like digital economy, tech skills, um, and a message that's been coming through pretty clearly is that with things like automation and AI kicking in, the jobs of the future are going to evolve and become something that perhaps we are not able to see clearly right now even. Um, are Malaysia and its workforce and its youth actually prepared for this? I think it's, you know, as I said, it's not as if one day we wake up and we're going to be ready. I think it's a process. And I think it's a process that needs, you know, different parties to come together. And so that's why, like at MDEC, we always talk about building an ecosystem. You've got to have different parties coming together to develop 
um, to develop the talent that we need. Now, that said, we are blessed because more than 70% of our youth are digital natives, meaning they've had a minimum of five years exposure to the internet, right? So that's a good starting point because at least they've had access to the internet. Uh, but the question is then, where do we go from there, right? And in the world ahead, it's not just about using technology, but it's about how do you solve problems using technology? How do you code? How do you program? How do you uh, create new solutions to address problems around us? So, And that's where I think the real work is. It's about how do we now um, get our youth, level them up from being just users of technology to being creators and developers of solutions. And with that comes uh, into the picture uh, education with regards to STEM. Uh, what's the current situation with regards to STEM-related skills availability in the country? Okay, so if you were to look at uh, STEM per se, I think the percentage is not as high as where it should be, right? And this is an issue that, uh, as a country, we have been grappling with for many, many years. There is a target set in 1967 that uh, we want to have 60% of our, of our university students studying STEM. And today, I don't think it's, it's, not, it's, it's not there yet, right? Uh, but that said, I don't think it's a complete showstopper. And the reason I say that is if you were to look at um, some of the examples out there, take Google. So Google actually did a, uh, they did a study of their people at work, their own employees, looking at what does it take to be successful at Google, and out of eight factors, STEM came last, right? So while it is important, it's not a showstopper. What is more important is for people to have the cognitive ability and the learning ability. Because in this day and age, you can learn just about anything, right? And let me give you a personal example. So my son is 15 years old, and he makes music and he publishes it on Spotify, we didn't teach him, he didn't attend any classes, but he learned it on his own. And when we speak to tech CEOs, even locally, what they tell us is m many of them hire for passion and interest, and then they train for the job. On that note about, um, I think that there are a number of divides here. So when you talk about having that those cognitive skills, those problem-solving skills, I think it's very easy to be overwhelmed by tech. It's very easy to look at digital solutions or to look at a digital landscape and go, I have no idea what the first thing I'm supposed to do is. And that can be very overwhelming. So there are a few things that need to be addressed. Let's start with the young, because uh, that's part of that life cycle, right? So when we look at the youth of Malaysia, we like to use the term digital natives, but what does that really mean? I mean, does that actually translate into digital skills? Great. Yeah. Thanks for that question. So as I mentioned earlier, right, we want to transform and we want to level up our kids from being just users to creators. So about three years ago, MDEC launched an initiative called My Digital Maker Movement. And we called it a movement because we wanted to be able to... Um, to actually galvanize, right, and connect different ecosystem players to drive this agenda forward. It's not something that any single party can do. And so My Digital Maker Movement, it's a public-private academia joint initiative, um, and everybody kind of comes together to figure out how do we actually get these kids engaged in 
um, you know, these new digital skills like coding, mobile app development, robotics, animation, you know, game development, and so on and so forth. And I think, I mean, to some extent, the the results seem to be that it's it's very encouraging because when we started three years ago, there were hardly any coding schools around, you know. And um, and today, if you were to look at it, I think if you if you Google, you can find quite a few coding schools, at least in the main centers of the country. The 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 challenge then is, you know, how do we how do we make it more accessible to all? And that's something that we continue to work with partners to look at. How do we bridge that gap? We're speaking today with Sumitra Nai, who is the Vice President for Talent and Digital Entrepreneurship at MDEC. So we are taking your questions, send them through, whether it's about IR 4.0 and preparing for that, whether it's about more education um, in this space. Talk to us. We want to hear from you. Call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. To the people who have already been sending in messages, we will get to that right after this. Keep it here on the evening edition, BFM eighty nine point nine. Building fit Malaysians, BFM eighty nine point nine. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Kelvin. It is our Movers and Shakers Town Hall today. And with us is Sumitra Naya, the Vice President for Talent and Digital Entrepreneurship at MDEC, um, here to talk about developing digital skills, about IR 4.0, about getting tech ready for the jobs of the future. Send your questions through. Let us know what you want to ask. Call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, we've had a few questions come through on WhatsApp. Yep, the first one from Cheryl Akma, who's, uh, who says that schools don't even allow handphones in schools. Uh, primary school students don't utilize all the technology that's available, and everybody is trying to limit screen time for children with the uh, devices and the gadgets. How and when can Malaysian kids be prepared? with technology, with all that uh, into the picture? So as I, as I mentioned, I mean, you know, that's a great question and some very valid points. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, I don't think it's any one party that is responsible to make this happen. Uh, you know, take my kids, they go to school and they don't take handphones in, but still they get to actually, you know, explore their digital creativity outside of school. And I think that's where, as parents, we have a role to educate our children on the appropriate use of devices, right? Uh, you know, and as uh, is it Spider-Man that said that, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that applies in this case. And so children need to be educated. Parents need to be educated that, you know, it's not always about banning or saying you can't use something, but how do you use it in a way that is productive, and then we also have Cyrus, who is um, asking a question that I think a lot of people have been bringing up, saying Malaysia is losing more and more tech talent to Singapore due to currency strength and job opportunities. What strategy is there to retain talent? Uh, I believe that my colleagues at uh, Talent Corp uh, may be looking at something like that. And also, you know, the other agencies over at MDEC, we work uh, to we work with the companies in our ecosystem to look at strategic investments, right, that offer these high-value jobs. So, for example, uh, within the MSC status companies, uh, 185,000 jobs have been created. So these are the kinds of jobs that are being created as companies start new businesses, as we join investments in the country and so on. So that's kind of, you know, what we're looking at to provide job opportunities. So... 
when we imagine gaining digital skills for the future, the first thing that comes to mind is always coding. Uh, but surely there's, prob- there's a lot more to it. What exactly are digital skills? Uh, digital skill, yeah, coding to some extent they are important, mm. and I guess it's going to be like uh, as important as reading, writing, or arithmetic. Right? It's a very basic requirement. It's almost hygiene. Uh, but if we were to look at what are the skills that is required as we move forward into fourth IR, it's kind of three skill sets. First is technical skills, and there there's a range, right, from basic as in literacy, coding all the way to data science, you know, machine learning, different things. There's a range. Uh, But just as important is also the social skills, right? The socio-emotional skills, Uh, things like empathy, interpersonal skills. Those are things that perhaps may be harder for a robot to take over. So I always like to remind people that when we talk about digital jobs, it's not just about the hard tech skills. It's also the other part, the social-emotional skills. It's extremely important. And the third one is problem-solving, complex thinking skills, right? Critical thinking. So that's the other part that is very, very important, the ability to learn and relearn. So those three things have to come together in order for people to be ready for this jobs of the future. Earlier this month, we saw the Education Ministry announcing that starting next year, AI, computer programming and robotics are going to be introduced to year four pupils. Um, Is MDEC involved? Yes, we are. We are supporting with the development of the teaching modules as well as to help in the training of the teachers. So what is going to be the overall concept or scope of the subjects if we're talking about modules and training? You know, what's going to be required? Yeah, so... um, This is a subject that has been around. It's just that it's being refreshed now with new content. And uh, working with our partners in Ministry of Education, we, of course, have uh, come, you know, we sort of want to evolve this with the times. And so when you talk about design and technology, which is the English version of Rekha Bentot Dan Technology, obviously technology here has to be digital. Uh, Hence, one of the key things that students are going to be learning is how to program microcontrollers, right? And when you program microcontrollers, it has to be for a purpose. It has to solve a problem, do a thing. And so through that knowledge, they're actually going to be learning how to code and they're going to be learning how to manage databases, to look at data, uh, to analyze and and to get the microcontroller to do things on its own. Hence, something like an artificial intelligence, because it's going to be doing certain things based on the programming, based on the algorithm. If you have any questions, we're talking about not just education, but training and preparing ourselves for what's to come in the jobs jobscape, really, of the future. Call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. Is this something that you're currently grappling <laughs> with uh, in this changing landscape? You can also WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. For the young people, is, this, is digital skills something they want? And what is the incentive or the pull factor for them to acquire these skill sets? Yeah, I think, you know, many of the younger generation, they were born with digital, Right. Uh, they probably learn how to use a phone before learning how to read a book, mm. right? And so it's natural to them. It's not as if, you know, you have to force it onto them. It's it's the most natural thing. It's as natural as drinking a glass of water. <laughs> um, but I guess the thing, and so, and so are they embracing it? It's a given. 
yes, they are, you know, uh, and it's so natural. Uh, but I guess the more important question is where do we go from there, right? And as I said earlier, they already use us. So how do we now harness that in a way that makes them more creative and more productive? And how are we also going to be able to provide that across the board? Because we know that in terms of what schools can provide, it's not even. Um, and that is an existing problem. It's not necessarily a problem related to this. But because technology can be expensive, because yes. training can be long, how do we ensure that people who are living in areas where the education system is already perhaps not um, serving them fully, how can we ensure that they won't be left further behind? Yeah. I think firstly, is and I, I want to make the point that we are not unique in that, you know, Technology is insufficiently available in the education system, even in parts of developed countries like the US and the UK, this problem exists, right? So it's not unique to Malaysia. But I think the second point is how do we address it? So our way of addressing it is we work with partners. We work with uh, state-owned facilities. We work with companies, universities and so on. And they have established kind of digital maker hubs. That's what we call them, digital maker hubs. And these are spaces where people can go in, learn how to code, learn how to program a robot, learn about 3D printing. And these are across the country. So in total, there are about 70 of these digital maker hubs. 48 of them are outside schools. And another 22 are located, 24, sorry, are located in schools. And the 24 that are located in schools have opened up their hubs to surrounding schools. So, for example, I visited one of them in Sabah a couple of weeks ago, and they opened up their centre on weekends for 14 surrounding schools to take turns to come in and use and get their kids exposed to the, to the um, equipment that's there, right? So in this way, that's why we call it a movement, because if we were to say, you know, yes, MDEC has to build all these facilities or whatever, it's never going to end, right? It's, we're never going to get to what we need to achieve. And that's where the power of working in partnership with government, private sector, universities makes it so powerful. And so over the last three years, we've been able to reach out to more than 300,000 kids who are now involved in all kinds of what we call digital making activities. We have a question here from Kalai who asks, as a working adult, what are the skill sets we need to acquire to stay relevant in the current business world? I think there's a variety and I think it depends on your starting point and where you are and what your passion is. You know, as I, as I was just talking to somebody earlier just now, uh, there are zero vacancies in the cybersecurity space. That's an example, right? And it tells you the demand for cybersecurity professionals is at an all-time high, right? So that's an area. The other one is things like data science. So, for example, if you're an accountant or in finance, you probably want to look at roles that you can move into in the digital economy world. So if you're an accountant, it could be data science. If you're an engineer, maybe you want to look at IoT so things like that. How can you upskill? And I think opportunities to upskill are abound. They're everywhere. They're in Coursera, EDX. Even locally, we've got uh, places like Next Academy, uh, the Asia Dev Boot Camp, right? And these are places where you can go to and actually upskill. So really, the opportunities are endless. It is our attitude towards you know how we're going to be sort of keeping abreast 
and um, upskilling ourselves so we remain relevant in the future. And that's something that we have to take responsibility for ourselves. Do you view upskilling as the only option to stay relevant? I mean, with the fact that, as you pointed out, some sectors are increasingly competitive and we are going to see fresh grads who are just coming in who are totally trained to do these things. (laughs) Is upskilling the only way? I think there's a variety. Of course, upskilling is more formal, but I think in many instances, it's also a lot of on-the-job, you know, in a way, on-the-job informal upskilling, taking on new assignments, you know, challenging and pushing ourselves to learn new things. All those things are just as important as just formal upskilling. You can keep those questions coming. We are talking about acquiring tech skills, upskilling, preparing ourselves for the jobs of the future today. If you have any questions at all, uh, any concerns, call double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Our guest is Sumitra Naya, the Vice President for Talent and Digital Entrepreneurship at MDEC. We'll be back to continue asking questions, taking your questions after the six thirty news. This is the evening edition, BFM eight. Brainy, fancy material. BFM 89.9. It is 6.36. Good evening. It is Lynn and Kelvin. And with us live in the studio is Sumitra Nye, the Vice President for Talent and Digital Entrepreneurship at MDEC. She's in because it is our monthly Movers and Shakers Town Hall. Um, And today we are talking about digital skills, IR 4.0, all manner of things, and you can send your questions in as well. Call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Before we get to your questions, uh, which have been coming, I just wanted to say one thing because. Tansri Rafida Aziz was recently quoted in the news saying that there is no place for graduates of humanities courses in the highly competitive knowledge-based industries as sectors. And uh, I believe that that would have a lot of people's hearts sinking because there are a lot of humanities grads out there. What do you think? Is there room for humanities in the digital economy? I think there's a room for everybody. You know, if you look at any economy and over civilizations, we've survived three industrial revolutions. We're going to the fourth. And in every civilization, there has been a place for artisans, craftsmen, engineers. You know, you have a mix of everybody. And I think just like, you know, you let a thousand flowers bloom, you need to have diversity in the economy too. And so let me just, you know, reference back to a quote that I like to uh, like to give out when I talk to people about tech and, and arts, right? And this is by Steve Jobs. And he said... Tech alone is not enough. It's tech married with liberal arts, married with humanities, that yields the results. And I think he even has gone on to say that Apple is not a great company because it has great programmers, but because it has great artists, historians, musicians who happen to know how to program. So yes, programming skill is essential, but that doesn't mean there's no place for um, those who are more artistically inclined and I, I and, and and to that I think the you know more and more we hear about people talking about steam so I think there needs to be a balance between the two and the two coming together that's what makes everything beautiful and in line with that we do have a question here from Nikolai asking do SPM leavers still have jobs and future and a future in digital in the digital IR 4.0 economy world uh, are there jobs that won't be taken over by automation music composers chefs cashiers yeah. clerks and nurses will these jobs still exist exactly right so those are the jobs which 
um, many people believe are going to prevail. And it is jobs that are routine, process-based, repetitive. Those are the ones that are going to be going away. So if you take the job of an accountant, right, after some time, you might find that AI or a robot may be able to come up with a P&L or a balance sheet or, you know, even do up your notes, financial notes. But for you to be a therapist or to be an artist, that's a little bit harder because a lot of those things are emotion-based. It's empathy. It's a lot of feeling. And that's a little bit harder for robots or, or AI to, you know, take over. We also have a, a question in line with that from April who says, I work in finance. FinTech is definitely the future, but unfortunately, my employer does not provide any form of digital upskilling. I've taken the initiative to pick up data analysis skills such as basic SQL, but without access to an actual database, my skills would be limited. To advance them, I would need to leave my industry to a data heavy industry, but then nobody would be hiring me as I don't have any certification of my skill nor any notable experience. I feel like I'm stuck in a dead end, what can I do to future-proof my career? That's really interesting. And, you know, I, pl I applaud, uh, what's the name of the April. Person? I applaud April because she's, you know, she's realizing she's stepping up. And maybe one way is, you know, to actually go and talk to her boss about the opportunities around fintech and to, you know, um, almost be like a busybody in the office and go and find out what kind of data is available and do that like almost as an after work, right? And then analyze the data, bring it to the boss, show him the power of data analytics and maybe hopefully that can change his mind. So I just wanted to say one thing about April's uh, concern, which is that there seems to be this need to upskill and then potentially start almost at an internship level in order to acquire the skills that you think you would need to future-proof your career. And I think for many people who might be thinking of making shifts in industry or thinking of picking up necessary skills in order to advance, that is a very real fear that you've put in 10 years of work in a certain direction and now you're going to have to go all the way back, start from scratch, take a hit in terms of your salary, in terms of your career position. What advice would you have to offer there? I think, you know, as we spoke about earlier, I think it's important to understand what skills we have now and how do I then move up from there. So, for example, if I'm in finance, how do I, you know, what April said makes complete sense. How do I move into fintech? Rather than if I'm in finance, how do I go out and become a software engineer? You know, it's completely different. And yes, it's going to set you back. But how do I move forward? So I think definitely she's on the right track. It's just looking for that right opportunity as to, you know, how you get your employer to be interested. If you have any questions today for Sumitra, do send them through. You can call us as well, double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're talking um, about trying to prepare for a future that none of us are sure about necessarily. But are very afraid of. Well, some <laughs> of us are more afraid than others. Others are clearly preparing already. Um, and we have some other questions that have already come our way. But do call us double seven double three two nine hundred. Again, WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine tweet us at bfm radio our next question comes from nadia who asks as a parent i want to know if there is a resource or a website that i can refer to where these digital education initiatives are listed yes so um she can actually follow us on facebook and just look for my digital maker movement or just google that and you'll find us um on social media and all our activities, I mean, and from our partners are also listed on the Facebook. Cheryl Akma wants to know, how much will STEM pro programs in schools cost and who is going to fund them? 
Okay, that's a really interesting question because STEM is much broader than yes. just uh, digital. So I, I'm not sure if I have the data right now on me, but I do know that um, tech, digital technology can be pretty affordable. So if you think about a microcontroller, uh, a basic microcontroller, one of the the most affordable ones costs about 40 to 50 ringgit, which is by microbit, which is out of the UK. So that's as affordable as it can get, right? And a lot of the resources are available online as open source resources. So places like Code Academy, Code.org, if you have a child, Cheryl, uh, just go to Code.org and, you know, you can actually get your kid to learn how to program on their own free of charge. You can call us with any questions you have for Sumitra Nair, the Vice President for Talent and Digital Entrepreneurship at MDEC. Uh, we're talking about both those things as well as just the whole idea of developing digital skills. Call us double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio with any of your questions. We will be back after this. It's the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM. 89.9, The Business Station. Good evening, it's Lynn and Kelvin with our guest today, Sumitra Nair, the Vice President for Talent and Digital Entrepreneurship at MDEC, who is live in the studio with us because it is our Movers and Shakers Town Hall where we open the show up to you and ask you what your questions are on digital skills, on you know upskilling in terms of tech, Call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp, 018-789-8899, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, some questions that have, uh, some comments rather that have come through. Firstly, this from Peter. AI is STEM and those in pure STEM will be replaced by AI. <laughs> we need STEM. Uh, people need interdisciplinary knowledge. Don't be complacent. What are your thoughts on that, Sumitra? I agree. I think you need a mix of skills, you know, and more and more cross-disciplinary education is something that uh, everybody looks toward. And so that's where when uh, we worked with the Ministry of Education to introduce something called computational thinking, meaning how do you think using computer science concepts, right? Uh, and that's integrated across the subjects, across key subjects like math, science, English, and so on. So this is something I, I completely agree with that comment. Um, and in line with that, we also have Kamar Nizam who says, I want AI to do the work for me so that I can go do happier things. <laughs> yes. But also to do data analytics on finance, you need to know finance first. That's how important basic skills are too, which is something that I think we've been echoing throughout the show. Yes, mm. definitely. Um, and we also spoke much earlier about brain drain because we did have a question that came in. And there's also been a recent news article, according to uh, PCOM, which published its ICT Job Market Outlook 2019 report. Malaysia stands to lose more fresh ICT grads to other countries because of, um, as that earlier listener mentioned, disparity in wages. Uh, the huge pay gaps between entry-level and senior staff are also said to put students off from taking up computer science. Um, and I guess overall then, how can we address this disparity in wages? Not just the brain drain, which we talked about earlier, but that, that wage gap and also the fact that currency plays a role. Yeah, I think, uh, so, you know, you raised a few points in mm. that question earlier. And I think one of the ones that I want to address is about ICT graduates, right? And yes, we do have, um, we may have many ICT graduates. But I think it's important to remember that the quality of ICT graduates vary. And if you were to reference back to uh, initiatives that we are working with, 
uh, about a dozen universities and polytechnics or so, um, for their ICT graduates, they have a 95% employment rate. And the salaries they make are one in, 150% or 1.5 times higher than the average national starting salary. And how they do it is by working closely with the industry. So the curricula that is taught, how it is taught, um, the opportunities for joint projects, industry mentoring, all those things actually make a huge difference to what extent the graduate is ready for the job market. Uh, and, and I would urge, you know, universities to start thinking about how do you bring industry into the university to make your graduates more relevant rather than to look at a very theoretical or academic sort of a pathway and then find after four years it hasn't prepared you for the job market. So this is critical and this has been something that we have been able to do. It's something we have been catalyzing and, and experimenting with in key universities and it's bearing fruit. It's something that we could replicate with other universities too. And that's on the education level, uh, on the level of industry, on the level of employers and businesses. Uh, what are the gaps there when it comes to helping the employee pool and the tech pool to reach to that point where we can reap the benefits of IR 4.0? I think employers everywhere, I mean, not everywhere, but I think employers are increasingly starting to look at this. So at MDEC, we work with organizations like FMM, uh, and various other associations, PCOM and so on, working together, trying to figure out what are the kinds of new industry skills that is required and how do we upskill them, whether it is uh, things that companies do on their own. So some of them, for example, promote uh, online learning, right? They have minimum 20, 40 hours of online learning that the employees need to go through. Some of them uh, go for more formal working with you know, papers like HRDF uh, or other other programs to look at upskilling as well. So opportunities are abound. Uh, I think it's just a matter of whether the employer and the employee is willing. And more often than not, the main success factor is the employee themselves because they need to be aware that change is coming. So if you take banks, for example, change is coming and a lot of the banking employees are going to be finding that their jobs are irrelevant when you have automation and robots. Hence, it makes a lot of sense that banks, CIMB, Maybank, many of the uh, you know, huge banks out there are investing millions to actually retrain and upskill their people. So we're beginning to see a momentum and some sense of urgency, I would say, moving in that direction. And we also, I suppose, do have to ask, have you had to upskill yourself? Yes, continuously, all the time. So um, I do know programming because I took an elective in university, uh, although I'm not a tech graduate, but I do know how to program. But working in the tech space, I've had to understand new things like digital marketing, social media marketing, uh, and constantly, we're constantly learning how do you um, leverage on data, looking at data analytics, data science. So we have data scientists working for our organization, uh, but we also work with data analytics companies to try and, you know, understand things better and plan better. So, and in order to do that, in order to understand it, you have to first learn about it. So we're constantly always upskilling ourselves. And you have to kind of immerse yourself in the field as well. Definitely, 
Definitely. So what are the metrics to look out for as we continue to focus on building a tech-savvy Malaysia? Sorry, can you repeat that question? So, you know, when we talk about the IR 4.0, for example, it does seem a bit up in the sky, up in the clouds a little. Um, so how do we measure um, the metrics in which we are moving and taking steps towards uh, being able to get the benefits from IR 4.0? The goalposts, re- yeah. really. I mean, just at what point do we go, oh, OK, this happened, great, and so on. Yeah, I think I think one of it is digital adoption, right? So in Malaysia... The, uh, if you look at the World Bank report that came out last year, I think it was found that Malaysians as individuals, there's high level of digital adoption. Uh, the gap, or rather the opportunity, is with business. And so that's something that we continue to work on in terms of how do we get businesses to adopt digital technologies to improve productivity. So hence, productivity would be another measure. Digital adoption, productivity, and I guess last but not least is high-value employments, right? Are people actually getting into those high-value employments? Sumitra, thank you so much for joining us today. We've been speaking with Sumitra Nair, the Vice President for Talent and Digital Entrepreneurship at MDEC as part of our Movers and Shakers Town Hall, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my, bfm89.9, the business station.